This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book under the covering title, The Form of Sound Words, and we have reached the word calling. When we read just now Ephesians chapter 4, we discovered that when the Apostle opens the practical section, he focuses our attention immediately upon our calling. Now the calling is the calling of God, and our response is the walk that's worthy. But if we do not know our calling, if we have no conception of its character and the difference between one calling and another, we should be like some of the friends we meet and sometimes we've said it ourselves, we don't know whether we're coming or going. It's a dreadful description to give of some of God's people for they don't seem to know where they're coming or where they're going. And it's largely because you've dipped into the scriptures at any place and lift out any text and that's good enough for you. But there are different callings, even as, as there are different spheres in which blessings will be enjoyed. It's not good enough to say that the meek should inherit the earth and that means they're going to heaven. Because if that means they're going to heaven, well, what can you do with a book like that? But there is an earth to be enjoyed presently. It will blossom like the rose. And there is a heavenly city. And there is a position far above all. And associated with those different spheres are the callings that are connected with them. So, in looking into this form of sound words which the Apostle has supplied to us, as he enjoined upon his son Timothy to keep, we cannot ignore this word. One of the things we do do well to remember, I think, first of all, is uh, an argument that is expressed in the epistle to the Hebrews. In chapter 5, he speaks about the high priest and his character. Uh, But in chapter 5, verse 4, he makes this comment. And no man taketh this honour unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. And I think that's a word for us all. You cannot take this honour to yourself, whatever honour it may be in the Scriptures. It is yours by calling, that's an act of God, or it's not yours at all. The parable of the man who gate-crashed into the wedding feast, may have another context, but it has much the same character. The king came in and said to him, How camest thou in hither, not having on a wedding garment? And he was speechless, turned out. So this calling emanates from God, and it's associated with his purposes, and he calls accordingly and in harmony with it. And you see on the top of this chart, don't worry about these flowers because they're very lovely and we want to keep them there. We're only going to use this first piece. You see the word is klesis in the Greek and kareo is the verb and it enters into our word ekklesia and ek are called out people. As you'll see the next word is the word church. A called out company. Now this word klesis or calling comes in quite a number of passages. I don't think it would do us any harm just first of all to run over them, uh, it, just to equate ourselves with the way in which it comes, and then we'll look at some of the different phases and aspects of it. Romans, the 11th chapter, verse 29. This is dealing, of course, with the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the people of Israel. And it says this, 
Verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now we are not Israel, but we are those who depend upon his faithfulness. And this is back behind every one of his callings, whatever they may be. That they are without a change of mind. And they do not depend upon worthiness. Verse 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Well, we can read in another part of the scriptures, we were enemies by wicked works. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So there's the word election comes into it. That is God's choice. God's choice takes place first. In our case, before the foundation of the world. But the calling takes place now, in this life. And by his mercy, we have responded. Let's look at the other one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1.26 1 Corinthians chapter 1.26 Here we have a different context. It's not the restoration of the people of Israel, but he's dealing to with Gentiles who were associated a little bit boastfully with the fact that they belonged to Greece. And the Greek seeks after wisdom. Athens and so on. And he reminds them in 1.26 For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, however great the wisdom of Plato and Socrates and all the others may be put together, and it's foolish on our part to belittle them, we still quote them, we still refer to them, we still speak about the various words that they used and they come down to us as wisdom. But he said, you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen, see calling and choose, choosing come together, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confuse, to found the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's the calling of God. And he reminds us there. And then the other one is Hebrews chapter 11, uh, where he speaks to the people of Israel, or the Hebrews, and says to them, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So, whatever point of view, whatever you think about the epistle to the Hebrews, they were holy brethren, and they were partakers of the heavenly calling. And it covers the whole of the epistle. Uh, nothing to do with our subject, of course, but here's the apostle. Uh, you know as well as I do that you could sometimes be tripped up over this. Who do you think is the greatest of the apostles? Well, if you belong to some of us, you'd say, oh, I should say the Apostle Paul. And if you belong to the other folks at the other end of the street, they'd say the Apostle Peter. But of course we could say, but we know better still. The Apostle, above all Apostles, is Christ. But how could he be an Apostle? Because he was sent to represent God and to undertake our salvation. But well, that's a little bit by the way. And so we go on. Ephesians 1, 18. This reference to a calling.
He's praying here. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And personally, I translate that for the acknowledgement of him. That's the thing that have to be laboured out and taught uh, and considered. Uh, but it's not so much knowledge. That's the stuff of the truth. But what you're doing with it, after you've got it, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So you see, in keeping the unity of the Spirit, there's one hope of your calling. Here he says that you may know what is the hope of his calling. You cannot possibly appreciate the hope if you do not know what calling you belong to, because each calling focuses upon a different aspect of the second coming of Christ and a different sphere. And then we go on to, we've looked at Hebrews 3.1, we looked at uh, Ephesians 1.18, there's again in chapter 4 we've had the calling, and we have Philippians, which is rather a different point of view, chapter 3.14, Philippians chapter 3, 14. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The difference between Ephesians and Philippians is largely that Ephesians is the hope which you could neither win nor lose and Philippians is the prize which is the added thing which you have to run for and is associated with a reward. And then we have... Uh, Finally, 2 Timothy 1.9, which we must include because that is the almost last word of the Apostle on this subject. 2 Timothy 1.9. He says in verse 8, Be not now therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. It's well for us to put those in the right order. Although Paul stresses that as the prisoner of Jesus Christ he received this revelation, he received it from the Lord. It's the testimony of our Lord first, and then the chosen vessel afterwards. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Well, it couldn't have been given to us personally. But we are told in Ephesians we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. But he's now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. You see, very, very intimately associated with Paul's special ministry. Well now let's consider some of these um, references a little bit more closely. First of all, we'll turn to the testimony of Peter. We'll let him speak. We, we don't set Peter aside. We put him in his right place. Uh, but he was an apostle and he wrote to comfort and teach uh, those who were under his care. And he speaks about this question of calling just the same as Paul has to. First of Peter. Chapter 2, verse 9. Here we have a little bit of a new point of view. He is speaking to these people. It, it, it's not speaking to us. 1 Peter 2, 9. 
But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Well, you've got to stretch the scriptures a lot in order to get a poor Gentile into that category. A royal priesthood, never spoken about you or me. But he was speaking to these who were the legitimate heirs of God through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and so on, and they will yet be. A peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's one thing to remember about this calling. It calls you out of something, as well as calls you into something. And it stresses the grace of God, doesn't it? Because those who he called, and those who he chose, instead of being the fairest of the earth, they were strangers, they were at enmity, they were involved in wickedness, they were alienated in their minds by wicked works, and he called them out of darkness. But he called them into his marvellous light. And so we have that emphasis there. And then in the 1 Peter chapter 1, 15, chapter 1, 15, he speaks about this being holy. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. It's not possible for us to think of the holiness of God without some measure of all. It's deeper, it's more searching than the word righteousness. The righteousness is associated with the law court. The holiness is associated with the temple. And this is according in connection with holiness. If he Verse 12, 17, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know, ye were not redeemed, and so on. Remember. Well, then we have in chapter 5, verse 10, Peter still being our spokesman. Chapter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. So that's the goal, friends. Eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have suffered a while, so being called unto eternal glory doesn't exempt you from some measure of endurance down here, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So there's a calling which goes on until you are presented, as Jude puts it, or as the Apostle puts it, before him without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And then in 2 Peter, writing to the same group, he takes another line. 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, in verse 3, according to his divine power, hath given us all things which pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us, called us to glory and virtue. Then he goes on and says certain things are added. 
And then comes to this conclusion in verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge. You could have a barren and unfruitful knowledge. And we, we meet folks, we, we've got a touch of it ourselves. We rattle off texts of scripture. But that doesn't follow that we know their depth or have, as it were, appreciated their fullness. But if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So he goes on to say, Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. You can't elect yourself. You can't call yourself. But if you have received a calling, well then he says, you see, it'll be the fruit on the tree that manifests whether the tree is living or not. You don't dig the tree up to look at its roots. You pass down your orchard and you say, oh, that one's dead, look, nothing on it. It's the fruit. And so these things have a bearing upon practice as well as doctrine. Well, that's the way in which... um, that's the way in which the word calling is introduced by Peter and, of course, by the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> well, now should we look at one or two other aspects of it so that we may round out the subject a little more. <clears throat> the first passage I think we must turn to is the Epistle to the Romans, chapter 8. And this is where the doctrine of Romans reaches its climax, practically. The central part of Romans is chapter 5, 6, 7 and 8. Uh, would you switch the light on, Mr... Well, I think we don't want to be sort of... Uh, yes, thank you. That's it. That's right. That's it. The other one. We'll have the light. That's good. Romans 5 ends, as you know, the uh, closing verses with condemnation. Speaks about verse 18. The judgment was by one to condemnation. And it ends in verse 21 that a sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And you read straight on to Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. But you say, what about 6 and 7? All their interpolations. What shall we say then? Comes four times in six and seven. What shall we say then? What shall we say then? And after disposing of that, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Well, toward the end of this chapter, the apostle, he says this, and we know, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now that is, a, of course, got a context. Where are we going to stop or start? He says, you remember a little bit earlier, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That's one thing. But he says, but we know that all things work together for good. That's the other thing. You see, sometimes it's wise for us in prayer actually not to know what to ask for. Because we are told the Lord knows what we want. And it doesn't, we are not, we are not heard for our much asking. And we're certainly not 
to be eloquent in prayer so that it can be printed and read as a piece of literature. The Old Testament, one of the Old Testament words for prayer is a cry. There's no nouns, verbs, adverbs or prepositions in a cry. But God interprets it. So we know not what to pray for as we ought. But in the midst of all our confusion and inability to know, we do know one thing. But we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And who are they? Oh, they're a strange people because not by nature should we be that denominated as those that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. And then he gives you in one verse a tremendous sweep with regard to time. He goes back before the, uh, the next two verses goes right back before time began, right on to the day of glory. Let's read it. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. I bet some people who go up in the air when they read the word predestinate. But why they should go up in the air because they're going to be conformed to the image of God's Son, I don't know. You see, we've got to be careful that we don't associate the word predestination with things that have nothing to do with God's calling. And again, don't think the word predestinate has got the word destiny in it. It is in our language, but not in the original. Prohorizo means to mark off beforehand, that's all. And if anybody in this congregation has written or gone to the solicitor and made a will and uh, put down a clause in it that leaving me £500 or £1,000 I'm not going to go off the deep end and say that's an intrusion into my freedom of will. I don't mind how many of you do it, you see. And if you can mark off beforehand anyone that you want to bless, you're going to say God can't. That's all it is. There's no destiny about it. So he says here, For whom he did foreknow, he did mark off beforehand to be conformed to the image of his Son. What a mercy, what a blessing that he might be the firstborn of my many brethren. Moreover, there's a a series now coming. Who be did predestinate, that goes right back to the beginning, then he also called. And that's a comfort. Right back before the foundation of the world, we are told in Ephesians that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. But we needn't worry that God will have so many things on his mind and memory that he'll forget one of us. It's overwhelming, isn't it? But he assures us, he said, oh, he calls the stars by their names. He knows the number of them. And as our brother Galatney isn't here, I can say without everybody looking at him, the heirs of your head are all numbered because he's got practically none to number just now, you see. But he's all right. So here it is. This series in the chain. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. Oh, they needed it, friends. But if he waited to find a just man on the earth in order to make him fit for glory, he'd still be waiting. But this includes the great gospel of salvation, the redemptive work of Christ. And whom he justified, oh, he justified them and rid them from their sins and made them accepted because he has glory waiting for them. So he says, what should we then say to these things? What can we say? If God be for us, who can be against us? 
And so we go right on to the end of this wonderful chapter. For there it is, this calling. In chapter 9-11, there's another reference to calling. And this is a very tangled piece, but it might be well to stop for a moment. Chapter 9, 10, and 11 deal with the dispensational problem. It's finished with the great doctrine of justification by faith, but is now concerned about Israel's defection, the casting away of this people being the reconciling of the world, and so on. And in chapter 11, you remember he says, and so all Israel shall be saved, verse 26. Now it's a very unwise thing to start arguing in Romans 11 without knowing what it says in Romans 9. Because you will notice that it canvasses the very question, what do you mean by all Israel? So shall we look at that for a moment, because it has to do with calling. He says, um, verse 6, not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they're not all Israel which are of Israel, oh, is that so? But what do we understand by all Israel then? Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Oh, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Oh, I see Abraham had quite a number of children. But it's in Isaac the seed is called, yes. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for a seed. They're counted for a seed. For this is the word of promise that this time when I come and Sarah should have a son. And so we've got this emphasis upon the calling. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. We're all called in Christ. That is to say, that's similar to the word Isaac, the child of promise. No calling outside of him. Because in him is forgiveness and in him is justification. In him is peace and acceptance. And so we have this emphasis upon the fact of calling. Shall we go back now to an early experience of the Apostle in the Epistle to the Galatians? When I said go back, of course, that's in time that we go forward in our Bibles. Galatians, as far as I can be sure of anything, Galatians was the first epistle that Paul wrote. You know it's got a challenge about it. The moment you read the first verse, Paul an Apostle, then he stops. Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. Not, neither, and but. And then when he speaks about the gospel entrusted to him, he says it all over again. Verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, the gospel which was preached to me is not, neither, or but. And then once more with regard to his ordination. But when it pleased God, verse 16, to separate me and call me by his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen Gentile. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went up to Jerusalem, but I went into Arabia. Not, neither, but three times over to show that he was an independent apostle. He had an independently revealed gospel and he was independent of all those at Jerusalem. He went into Arabia, not to Jerusalem. Now this is where his calling comes. Verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now he goes right back to his birth. And yet until he was a full grown man, he was an enemy of the truth, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was breathing out threatening and destruction 
and smitten down on the road to Damascus, blinded for a time, called me by his grace. And then he says, this is why he did it, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him. Oh, what an insistence upon the person of Christ. Not that I might preach a gospel, which he did, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. And friends, you are the heathen. Don't hand the word heathen over to anybody else. It's the word translated Gentile elsewhere. And he says, as a consequence, I, I conferred not with flesh and blood. So that was his calling. It's a comfort to some of us to know that when we were blind and when we were ignorant, God had his eye upon us. And we look back on our history and we see that certain things came our way and certain doors were slammed and certain people spoke to us all unconscious. We were, they were unconscious. God had a way with us. And when it pleased God to reveal his son in me and call me by his grace, or how the apostle realized this calling was by grace. And then you see, not only so, but we have this emphasis upon the fact that this calling is associated with his apostolic ministry. When you look at chapter of Romans, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Paul, not merely a servant, it's well to distinguish between a servant or a minister in the scriptures and a slave. And this word is a bond servant. And I believe the apostle adopts it with purpose. In Galatians he said at the end, I bear in my body the stigmata, the brands, that show that I belong to a master. And if ever there was a champion of liberty in the scriptures, it is the Apostle Paul. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And yet, his joy and his rejoicing was that he could now call himself a bond slave of Jesus Christ. So he says, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Now our version says, call to be an apostle. To be is put in italics. It's not quite that he was called to be an apostle, he was a called apostle. He was called, and his calling constituted him an apostle. Nobody can become an apostle. Nothing that, any, that anyone can do, or that other people do to them, could ever turn them into apostles. Because they all have to be sent from God that they represent. You see, apostello giving us the word apostle, is to be sent away from. And its uh, usage, quite outside the Bible, had to do with an envoy who represented his government, like we have ambassadors and what not now. So he was called. And as he reminded us in Hebrews, no man appoints himself to a priesthood. He's only, he can only be called as Aaron. And no man can appoint himself to the apostolate. The apostle said, he called me. And he said, separated unto the gospel of God. And you won't think any the worse of the apostle if you discover that he sometimes has a little play with words. It's not because he wasn't serious, but because it was his make-up, I think. 
the word separated, if you say it quickly, aphorismai, almost sounds like the word Pharisee. And the word Pharisee, in an entirely different language from this, says the same thing. A Pharisee was a separated person unto legalism. And he says, I'm a separated person unto the gospel. I once was a Pharisee, but I'm now Phariseed, playing on the word Phariseed, unto the gospel of God. Then in brackets he says, which he had promised afore by the holy, by his prophets in the holy scriptures. And then go back again, separated unto the gospel of God concerning his son. So Galatians says, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him. And the next time he writes it here, it's the gospel of God concerning his son. And then presently a little bit further down, you see, he says in verse uh, 9, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. And then in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So that's the gospel, the son of God. Well now he says, I was called an apostle. But in verse 6, Oh, he says, um, by, in verse 5, for whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So they are called. Paul was called. They are called. And then uh, you remember that they were called to be saints. Not merely called to be saints, but they were called saints by the very calling that they have received. That's in verse 7. So this calling, you see, goes behind a good many of the various phases of truth. Now some might have a little difficulty about this and say, well, this is also based upon eternal decrees and election and predestination that I feel high down and I don't quite like the idea. All right, friends, let's see what it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. He says in verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not only that you were chosen from the beginning, but you were chosen by God, to believe the truth and to be called by the gospel. There's the two sides. There's your response as well as God's. And they so blend together that it's difficult to set them apart. Word unto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go back to the first epistle of Thessalonians, the first chapter, you'll see he links the election of God with their belief of the gospel. Once again, verse 3, chapter 1. Remember, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labour of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Full stop. Well, how do you know that, Paul? 
Has God given you a glimpse in the book of life? Have you been taken in spirit back to before the foundation of the world and seen his decrees? No, he said, I'm not saying that. I say, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. He says, that's the only way I know you're elect, he said, because all this rose out of preaching the word and you're believing it. So you needn't think you're going to have a glimpse in the book of life, friends, except it's a book in your own life. If you can look into the book of your own life and say, once I was blind, but now I can see. If once you can say with that man in John's Gospel, well, it's no good arguing with you doctors of the law about these great doctrinal things. I don't know. I couldn't answer your question. But one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. You needn't worry whether you understand predestination, election or calling. It's there. That is the way in which God has chosen to link his purpose with your response. So we have this great emphasis upon calling. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we've looked at the passage just now. We must go back to it again because it is so important. He links it in verse 8 with the testimony of our Lord and of Paul his prisoner. And you know as well as I do, there is a cluster of epistles which we denominate for the sake of clarity, the prison epistles. And we discover that in those prison epistles, the apostle claims to have received by revelation a secret, a mystery, that had been hid in God and never revealed until that time. Here he has another glimpse at the same thing from a different angle. Verse 9, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. The apostle goes back to the same period by using different expressions. Before the world began is one, that's before age time. In Ephesians, it's chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And most of us have come to see that the word catabomy doesn't mean a foundation, but it means an overthrow. But that's a debatable point. We leave it for the moment. It's far enough back. It goes back even before 1066, William the Conqueror, or any mark in the history of man. Chosen in him, or a holy calling, before the world began. And this is immediately connected with Paul's own distinctive ministry, verse 11. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And then he speaks of that good deposit. Our version is a little bit astray here. Let's go look through verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which has been entrusted unto him is out of it against that day. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto you, keep. Chapter 2, verse 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. That's the committal. And that focuses our attention upon verse 13, hold fast or possess, 
the form of sound words. That's our covering title for this series. The form of sound words. Not that we're going to be formalists, but this is the pattern. The very word is translated pattern in 1 Timothy. Just to make sure of this, in case you missed it. 1 Timothy, chapter 16. Chapter 1, 16. How be it for this cause, I obtained mercy, that in me first, as a first one, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life eternal. You can't see the bottom of this chart very easily at the moment, uh, but those of you who are listening to this tape recording, you'll have a whole one in front of you, you will see that the word Christ Jesus is specially picked out and uh, it should be translated here in verse 16. Not Jesus Christ, that in me a first one. Christ Jesus. There's a reason for the change which was wait for a little bit yet. Now here we have then the pattern. And the word pattern is found in ordinary writing to mean a rough sketch before the finished design. I don't know whether you've ever done designing in anything, for anything you may have done. You sketch out a pattern, you sketch out an idea that you want first of all, and when once you've got the general idea, then you get your T-squared and you work it right out meticulously, ruling every line and dividing everything up with dividers and so on. But if you don't know what you're working for, all the precision in the world won't get much of a pattern. So the Apostle says, I'm not binding you down. But I'm telling you that God has made my conversion and my manner of life and the words which I have been receiving from him to be a pattern. Now you keep that pattern in mind. And if you do, there are some expressions you won't use for they belong to the people of Israel. There are some things you won't talk about for they belong to the poor ungodly. But you will be guided to follow in these steps without being enslaved. So we have this emphasis upon this holy calling before the foundation of the world and this form of sound words in which it could be discovered if only we would. And then um, I think there's one reference in Hebrews chapter 2 we might look at just in passing. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11. This is in a context which goes right back to Adam. It says in verse 6, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Well, if the angels never had a rule over any world, it seems a strange thing to slip in there. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified and said, What is man? Verse 7, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. And the margin, thou madest him for a little while lower than the angels. And chapter 1 says that this very one, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels. Well, at first sight, you say, well, surely anyone who is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person must be better than the angels. Ah, that's not what he means. 
This one laid aside his glory and became a man, died the death of the cross and was made a little lower than the angels. But after the resurrection, the ascension, he was manifested as the son of God with power and far above angels, principalities, powers and whatnot. So, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honour. Thou didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Then he says, verse 9, We see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honour, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, and the word man isn't there. He's going to speak about a certain company. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now that word captain comes out again in chapter 12. We might see the connection. Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the captain, that word author, and the finisher, that's the word perfecter, of our faith. So he's still got that in mind, the captain and the finisher. We're back again in chapter 2. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifies, and they who are sanctified, are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed, or here it comes, to call them brethren. He is not ashamed to call them brethren, for by his work on the cross, and the work he undertook for them, they are one with him. And so the story goes on. This emphasis upon the fact that there is a calling, a holy calling. It runs through the scriptures, and there's emphasis placed upon the fact that this calling can only come from God.